Okay, good evening. Um, today's reading is from Jeremiah 22, verses 13 to 17. And that can be found on page 782 of the Church Bibles. Okay. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their, uh, for their labour. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lovely. Great. Well, as, uh, as Libby says, if you've been with us um, for the couple of weeks, last couple of weeks, you'll, be know, you'll know we've been um, thinking a little bit about what God's justice looks like. Two weeks ago, I waved a book um, in front of you, and I can't remember the title of it, but it's by Isabel Hamley. I will put those on, on the news sheet next week, um, so that's a great start. Um, this is um, another great book, actually. This is by um, um, Gary O'Hogan. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he works for International Justice Mission, who we heard a little bit from last week um, well, certainly did work when this was written. It's, it's a little bit old now. Um, good news about injustice. I found this really helpful. Eleanor Smith, who I spoke to last week uh, in the talk, um, recommended it. I said, what should I read? And she said, read this. So um, really, really fabulous. And, and often um, drawing from his own experience, so a little bit like we heard last week, um, really, um, really challenging stuff. So I'd recommend that one. I'd also recommend, and I'd recommend this pretty much all the time anyway, um, a podcast called The Bible Project. I don't know if anybody's come across it. Really, really fantastic thematic stuff. Um, some great Bible scholars, but they're, they're, it's really accessible, promise me, promise you. Um, and it's, um, if, you, if you just go to your podcast provider and type in Bible Project Justice, there is a fantastic series, about five sessions or um, sort of episodes on, on justice, just going through what biblical justice looks like. Thoroughly recommends. Um, so last week we, we, we thought about our responsibility, our call to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, and we were starting to think a little bit more practically about what this looks like. And, and today, I guess we're putting the last piece in the jigsaw, if you like. We're thinking about what the Bible might have to say about uh, our responsibilities as consumers. And in many ways, when I was putting this together, I found this the most challenging. And I, I guess what I want to say is, through everything, the sort of running thread through all uh, that we've been saying is that we uh, worship a God of grace. So if we're feeling um, convicted, challenged, I know um, I have been, um, we, we should never lose sight of the fact that God is a God of grace. And, uh, and rather than sort of beating ourselves up 
um, we should look to kind of um, move forward and, uh, and, and, and repent, yes, um, but then seek to be changed. Um, so I think that's really important to remember. Let's, let's just pray before we plunge into this. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you that the more we, we uh, look to you, the more we see um, what life was supposed to be, how we were supposed to be. Lord, we acknowledge that often as we do that, we um, become convicted and realize uh, where we fall short of that. But we pray that as you challenge us and you um, speak to us and we learn from you, that, uh, that you would um, uh, correct us um, and help us to, to uh, always be reminded of, of your grace in that. So as we, as we um, look at your word now, would you just be uh, speaking to us, helping us, helping us not to be uh, scared of those challenges, but helping us to know that you are with us as we take these steps. Amen. Um, so um, I have uh, with me uh, something, I'm, an item I'm going to show you. It, it contains a really valuable mineral. This is apparently worth about $70,000 a tonne. It's increasingly rare. It's a mineral called cobalt. It's a mineral, actually, which um, quite possibly somebody risked their life to get out of the ground. Um, the thing that I'm going to show you um, was probably made by someone who um, was either pretty much a slave or certainly on an extremely low wage in a factory um, somewhere. Um, and um, also, the process of putting this together would have required a huge amount of energy um, and resources uh, to put this, this thing together. And, and this thing is my, my smartphone. And, and I have another thing here. It's a, it's a substance... Um, which I keep in a, a cheap plastic bottle, filled from a tap at home, but which an amazing 2.7 billion people can't access for at least one month of the year, and 1.1 billion people can't access at all. It's clean water. I wonder if you know the backstories of the stuff in your life, the, the, the objects that you fill your life with. There was a show um, when I was a student on, um, called uh, How, it, How It's Made, and I can't remember which channel it was, um, and me and my, my housemate would sort of grab our dinners um, and eagerly sit and to learn how things were made. Genuinely compelling television. Um, so we'd learn about like a, a mattress, how a mattress was made, or um, the, my favourite episode was a bowling ball. Um, because um, it's fascinating. If you ever look it up on YouTube, how a bowling ball was made, it's amazing. It's a mesmerizing process. Really exciting students, can you tell? Um, but the thing is, uh, all the things that we own have their own backstories that we just don't even think about. We just pick them up and we use them and then we carry on with our lives. Even, even this phone and even this water tell a story. But actually, not just stories. I think we could think about things like my phone as having a whole network of hidden relationships behind them. When I use my, my smartphone, I probably think about 
uh, in an immediate sense, about the relationships that I have with the people I'm communicating with, right? So my uh, people um, that I'm, I'm WhatsApping or the people on the ends of uh, Twitter or whatever it is. That's the relationship that I think I'm having. But whether I like it or not, when I pick up my smartphone, I'm actually putting myself in relationship with a whole host of other people, a load of people who um, potentially risked incredibly dangerous conditions to mine the cobalt that was used for the battery, or uh, the people in the factory in China, uh, because I looked it up, I looked up the make uh, and, and, and the sort of record on this stuff, and um, it looks quite likely it was made in a factory by people working incredibly long hours to put the components together. And, and when I take um, you know, a swig of, of my water bottle, whether I like it or not, I'm in a relationship with someone on the other side of the world who can't get access to water. See, I, I don't know if you've noticed the thread that's been running through all of these talks as we thought about justice, but it's that, I, that, that God's justice is fundamentally about the return, a return to righteousness. That's the vision, a return to righteousness. And we said right at the beginning, righteousness is about right relationships. It's about right relationships with God, but it's also about right relationships with those who are made in God's image, other human beings. And it's also about right relationships with the, with the world God created, right relationships with the planet. And actually, I think that's a key point, and I think we miss it a lot of the time. The Bible actually seems really keen to emphasize that just relationships are never just about us and other human beings, because we know that's not how the world works, is it? Um, there's, there's always an impact on the land as well because of the relationships we have because of the way we relate to other human beings. That's why when you watch one of David Attenborough's um, documentaries, um, we go from learning about polar bears and then on to thinking about human impact because you can't possibly think about the world without thinking about human impact. The two relationships, our relationship with the planet and our relationship with each other, kind of go hand in hand. And then think back to Genesis 3. Humans mess up, they make a big mistake, and the result, we're told, is, is that cursed is the ground because of you, talking to Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve's relationship with God is, is affected by, the, their, by their decisions. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other is affected by their relationships, uh, by their decisions. But also Adam and Eve's relationship with the land is affected as well. And I think that's such a helpful way of understanding what the Bible means when it talks about relationships. It's about relationships with other people. It's about relationships with the world and with the planet. And it's also about, um, through both of those things, our relationship with God. And so when I, I choose to use my mobile, I'm entering into a relationship, either a, a right relationship or a wrong relationship, with a whole host of people I've never met and I'll probably never meet. And in turn, I'm entering into a right relationship or a wrong relationship with God. And that, in short is why we, what we choose to buy is something we as Christians should care deeply about. But let's just turn to our passage in Jeremiah. If you've got your Bible um, in front of you, um, it might be helpful, but don't worry too much. 
All of our passages, you might have noticed in this, in this series, have all been sort of centred somewhere around exile. We certainly made a point of thinking about where they are in relation to exile. We thought in week one about Isaiah, um, and, and that, that passage from Isaiah came just after the exile. And then last week we thought about Esther, and that came during the exile. And the setting from our passage in Jeremiah today was actually just, um, as we'll see, just before, sort of just at the beginning of exile. And in a sense, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of this relates to exile, because the exile was sort of inextricably linked with justice, because the, it was the Israelites' refusal to live justly, which was a huge part of the problem. Time and again, God's sort of big beef with Israel in these bits of the Old Testament is that they just don't live justly. They're getting their priorities wrong. Think of that famous bit of, of, uh, in Micah. Away with your songs, but let justice roll. And here again, it's, it's a question of justice. The king um, referenced in the passage is, is a guy called uh, Jehoiakim. And what do we read about him? Well, he, he builds huge palaces with plenty of space, lots of big rooms, lovely windows, jacuzzi, cinema, duck house, all those sorts of things. It's expensively decorated. Red is apparently a brilliant colour. I'm not sure it would be nowadays, but a brilliant colour. Sorry if anybody actually has a red house. Um, for the house, you know, it's a, it's a massive status symbol. It's like owning a really extraordinary supercar. And then as I wrote those words, I literally stopped myself and said, no, no, David, it's actually like owning a smartphone. But we don't have to look hard to spot the injustices at the heart of this building process. He builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. That's what we're told. See, his relationship with his amazing palace is skewed by the fact that he refuses to acknowledge what's going on underneath that hidden network of relationships on which the palace is built. The palace is built on the back of oppression and extortion and slave labor. This is a palace made of stone and gold and unrighteousness. So contrast that with his father, Josiah. And we're told um, Josiah defends the cause of the poor and the needy, does what is just and right, and God says, is that not what it means to know me? See, because Josiah has right relationships with those around him, he has right relationships with God. And I think there's a huge, big um, klaxon warning here. Because we, we can read what happened to Jehoiakim if we go back um, to Kings, um, the book of Kings. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar invaded during Jehoiakim's reign. Nebuchadnezzar being the Babylon, Babylonian king. And it, so it was during Jehoiakim's reign, this king with a, a massive palace, which looks amazing but is built by slaves, it's during that reign that exile begins. And so I guess the warning is this. Our possessions, the things we own, 
the things we treasure and prize and get excited about. And we do get excited. I don't know um, if you've ordered a phone recently or done... I'm a terrible one for gadgets. So when I order a gadget, and I think I've got one coming, I genuinely get quite excited. Um, and, and, and the thing is, these things that we think are just sort of neutral objects actually aren't neutral objects. They don't stand in isolation. They say something about our relationship with God. We talk about having healthy relationships with our possessions sometimes, don't we? And we, and, we, and we kind of mean by that that we don't want to end up loving them more than we love God. And I think that is absolutely crucial. Absolutely. But there's a danger we start to think that as long as I put my phone away while the preacher's preaching, that's not a hint, and as long as I, I don't think owning the latest clothes is the key to happiness, then I'm basically fine. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But I think the story of Jehoiakim teaches us something a little bit different. The American author Anne Lapp says that every time you spend your money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. When Jehoiakim builds his palace, he casts his vote for a world of injustice, where people are of no value, where they're just tools to work where big windows are more important than people made in the image of God. And so I have to ask myself, what kind of world was I voting for when I bought my phone? Was it a world as God intended, with right and fair and just relations? A world which values people as made in the image of God? A world created by and gifted from an amazing creator God? See, the biggest lie that the consumer age tells us, I think, is that we should look out for ourselves first and foremost. That when we make a buying choice, it's us that comes first, and other considerations should come afterwards. But that's simply not the reality. See, when I choose to buy something, it's never just about me. There's so many hidden relationships going on in the background. Jesus tells a parable about a rich man, the Bible refers to it as a rich fool. You might know the one I'm thinking of. And one day he has an absolutely spectacular harvest. It's an absolute abundance of crops. It's huge. So he thinks, well, what am I going to do? Well, frankly, I've worked really hard to, uh, to grow this stuff. Then they're mine. This is my, my, uh, my crops. So... Um, well, if I'm going to have more, I'm going to need to store it all. And actually, if I, if I store it, then it'll, it'll grow in value. I don't need to do anything with it now. I can, I can have it grow in value. And actually, that means I'll make a lot more money of it further down the line. So, so his decision is, well, I'm going to knock down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. And as you, realize, as you read the story, you start to realize that suddenly these crops aren't really just crops for him anymore. Um, they're basically an investment. They're, they're money, they're growth in income. They're actually a means to an easy life for him. Meanwhile, I guess we can assume there are probably people in neighboring villages or, or somewhere nearby who are going hungry. And God says to him, you know what, you're a fool. You spend all this time acquiring wealth. You're storing up things for yourself, but in the the parable uses this phrase, you're not being rich towards God. 
And that's the phrase that's used, rich towards God. And you're, and you're thinking, well, that seems a bit harsh, to be honest. The guy was only trying to get rich, and, and it, it's got nothing to do with God. It's got, you know, a lot to do with personal com- comfort, and what's wrong with that? But then, but then Jesus unpacks a little bit later, and, and he, he tells the people that um, their priority shouldn't be acquiring stuff, and their worry shouldn't be around stuff. Their worry should be about people. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And when we get so obsessed with our relationship with our stuff rather than our relationships with people, that's us not being rich towards God. Well, this is all pretty hard, isn't it? Pretty hard teaching, to be honest. Um, I guess the question is, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) What are we supposed to do now? David, you've thoroughly depressed us. What are we supposed to do now? You know, we we realise our lives are are driven by our relationships with our stuff rather than often our relationships with people. We realise that behind our stuff there's a whole host of people and that sometimes hiding in the background of our stuff there is potentially exploitation and injustice. So what on earth are we supposed to do? Well, I think there are a number of things we need to remember. And the first is that God is not inviting us into a life of being miserable. Actually, quite the opposite. You know, the kingdom that we're invited to be a part of is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom where water's turned into wine and there's enough bread and fish to go go around a massive crowd with some left over. The issue isn't that God isn't abundantly generous. You know, there's actually enough food in the world to go around. There's, there's more than enough food to go around, actually. Apparently, the world's farmers produce enough food to feed about 1.5 times the global population. And yet, we still have famine. So the issue isn't about God's provision. The issue is, as we said, more about our relationships with others. It's a question of righteousness, right relationships. The second thing I think we need to remember, and this is something we've been coming back to again and again as well, is that we're moving, what we're moving towards, even though it doesn't feel like it a lot of the time, is a fairer, juster world. Not ultimately because of anything we've done, not ultimately Um, because of big projects in the world, but ultimately because the promise is that one day God will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity and there will be justice. So when we're feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm caught up in this unjust world and I don't know what to do, the first thing to remember is that promise of hope. God's justice wins in the end. Righteousness, right relationships, the lion lying down, with the lamb. That's what wins in the end. So while we mess up on this stuff time and time again, that is a reassurance to hold on to. So again, what what practically do I do now? Take the example of my smartphone. I got to this point in writing the sermon, and every so often you write a sermon and you get to a point where you realise you've backed yourself into a horrible corner, and you're going to have to do something drastic like chuck your phone. Would that be the solution? Just 
dispose of my phone? Well, no. <laughs> that would obviously be wasteful and counterproductive. It might help me feel a little better about myself after preparing a sermon, but it won't do much more than that. Instead, I think God's call is for us to be looking forward, to make better decisions in future. Big ones, like what car to own, what phone to own, that sort of thing. Little ones, like whether to um, buy that extra coffee. And gradually, as we make those decisions, we see God change our hearts. I will put a new spirit in them, says God to the prophet Ezekiel. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, we're not the finished product. The me that randomly buys my smartphone because I like the features and then throws it away two years later when the contract runs out, without any other thought, is not the finished product. The me that prefers not to think about where my coffee comes from, as long as it's tasty, is not the finished product. The me that will quite happily waste water because who's it going to harm? Forgetting that water is a precious resource is not the finished product. This right thinking, this way of living which has right um, relationships, righteousness, justice, right at the heart of it, is something we put on. It's something we learn and grow in. Ephesians 4 reminds us that we are learning to put on the new self. It says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're learning to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as we come to the end of our series, that feels like a real headline, I think. As we think about living justly, as we think about speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves, as we think about making buying decisions which put righteousness right at the heart of them, are we willing to do the hard yards? Are we willing to get educated on this stuff, to get to know who the voiceless are? where our stuff comes from. And there's a whole heap of places that we can go to think about that. We can look at um, things like the Tear Fund website, International Justice Mission have some great stuff. Um, I've got some magazines, but I keep leaving them at home, but I will bring them, I promise. Um, really, really helpful stuff. Um, Harosha have a really helpful website. Um, there's loads of stuff on a website called The Good Shopping Guide, which has lots of uh, information about how to buy um, from brands that are really um, doing good work on this, rather than brands that are not thinking about it. So there's all of that information out there. And I guess the question is, do we use it? And, and, and frankly, let's talk about this more. You know, I, I, I'm speaking at the front here as somebody who has absolutely not got this sorted. I, I'm well behind the curve on all of this. And I think sometimes it's just a case of admitting that uh, we don't have it sorted, but that acting justly in our day-to-day -day decisions as consumers is a biblical mandate. It is a part of our discipleship. How often do we, do we use that in our language of, about discipleship? And then praying for one another, swapping ideas and experiences, that is all it takes. So the lesson for me is this, as we grow as disciples to look more and more like our Lord God, our, our God of justice, as we reflect Jesus more and more in our lives, 
part of that process is that we learn to act uh, justly, to learn more and more what that means, to stand up for justice in an unjust world. So let's pray. It might be helpful if you'd like to, to stand, but don't, um, whichever you prefer. And I guess just uh, a bit like we did last week, just um, think about where we are in the coming week. Think about the the choices we, we make. Choices about what to buy, choices about, as we said last week, things to speak up for or, and how to do that. And let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us and change us. We're not the finished article. We're not going to walk into this straight away. But if we're open to the Spirit working in us, I think we will see change. I think God will chip away at the bits of us that need to to fall away and change us more into the people that we were created to be, people of righteousness, of right relationships. Lord God, we long to be like you. We long to reflect you. And we know, I know, how far I am from that. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would change our hearts. think of that verse about removing hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh Lord that's so often where I am my heart of stone says I'm not going to think about this (laughs) it's too hard my heart of flesh says the choices I make say something about the world that I want to see and ultimately the world I want to see is a world where you reign so come Lord Jesus give us hearts of flesh